and tonight, verse number 16. And I had not planned on preaching out of this verse until somebody inspired me to do so and dig in a little bit further, and I thank you for that. And uh, But it is a good verse tonight. I think it's going to be a help to you. It's a very practical verse, and more practical than what I thought it was. And um, there was a little bit a little nuance in this verse that I think will be a help to us all uh, as we see a message I've entitled tonight, Misery Loves Company. Misery Loves Company. How many of you can agree with that? Amen. Misery Loves Company. Uh, one sign said, uh, Misery Loves Company, but the hotel sign said, No Vacancy. And so, uh, I mean, at Misery, it just loves company. It loves to uh, be able uh, to get right in there. You know, sometimes when we are in a sad state of affairs, we love to seek volunteers to move into our state, don't we? I mean, uh, that's what we like to do. Uh, and tonight, we're going to see amongst, in this verse, amongst so many other verses about sin and about destruction, about, uh, about the travesty of sin, sin, that one that here that sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's a lesson for us all, not just for unbelievers, not just for the ungodly or for the unrighteous, but for every single one of, of us. When we are hurting, we too often want others to hurt with us. And I don't mean that in a, bad, in a good way, I mean that in a bad way. We want others to feel our pain. But the question I have for us is this, is misery loves company or to want others to feel our pain, is that a godly attribute? Is that something that we should seek to aspire to be and to do, to want others to feel the way that I feel? Is this a quality that Jesus had, that Jesus tried to perhaps even convey to us or transfer to us? I'm not under the belief that it is. I'm more inclined to believe that Jesus bore our sorrows in order that we wouldn't have to. Amen? I believe the scripture says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. That's why, that's why Christ did it. Christ took upon himself our sins, our sorrows. He bore our griefs for us, and he was not out to make us bear his. But the world oftentimes and the worldly system and the worldly philosophies don't see it that way. Today we are being told what they were told in Jeremiah's day, that the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. You say, what in the world does that proverb mean? What that simply means is this, is that the children need to pay for their father's crimes. The children need to suffer because of what the sins their fathers had done. But God turns this around in Jeremiah and also in the book of Ezekiel and says, no longer shall this proverb be. He said, you need to stop saying this proverb. You need to start saying that your fathers have uh, eaten a sour grape and children's teeth are set on edge. You need to stop saying that we need to pay for each other, your, your father's crimes. You see, the world wants to keep everybody down. The world's philosophy, or I should say a worldly philosophy, is if you're not happy, then I shouldn't be happy. Right? If you're not happy, I shouldn't be happy. Uh, and we've come to a place in our society today that if you're happy or if you have a certain material possession or maybe a certain economical advantage or 
maybe you have this or if you have that, uh, uh, all of a sudden then uh, you're typified as, a, as an egotistical uh, you know, feminist or uh, egotistical male chauvinistic pig, or you're classified as a racist, or you're classified as a uh, as a, uh, somebody that's a narcissist, or somebody you're you're put into all of these classifications just because maybe you might have this or you might have that, and it goes back to the statement I made at the that be- I made at the beginning. Misery loves company. Let's notice here in our verse in tonight, and let's start up a little ways in verse number 9. In, Hebrew, in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues have they used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. That's our verse tonight. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As I've just read to you in this long list of wicked acts that sinners are inclined to do, we notice in these particular things that I believe all of us should learn to stay far away from these activities. But as I look in these particular things, such as verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. And then I read verse number 16 right after that. I would be far pressed beyond my imagination to have guessed that verse number 16 would have been one of them. Tonight's message we'll see three particular things. Number one, we want to notice first of all that in this list of ungodly qualities that are here to reprove the world of ungodliness and righteousness and unrighteousness before God. This list is here to reprove the world. And reprove us, perhaps, of any unrighteousness or ungodliness in our lives. Secondly, we want to notice this, that even after we are saved, we should be able to look back at lists like these and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to participate in those particular activities. And thirdly and lastly, we'll see tonight that we can all rejoice All of us can rejoice in the grace of God that has not only saved us from sin, but rejoice in the fact that this same grace helps us to now live differently. Let me read to you Titus chapter number 2 in verses number 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Or let me say it like this. For the grace of God teaches us to deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The same same point is made in in both ways. The point is this, is that the grace of God saves us. The grace of God also helps us to live righteously. Number one, let us notice this, utter depravity. Utter depravity. Utter depravity. The purpose of Romans 1.18 to Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, if you've been with us on men's Bible study, we've been trying to go through the book of Romans slowly but surely. But 
Romans 1.18 through verse chapter 3 and verse number 20 is the discussion that Paul is giving to us, not really a discussion, but Paul's really overwhelming argument that the world stands unrighteous before God. That is what Romans 1.18 through 3.20 is there to declare. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile or barbarian. It doesn't matter who you are, what, you, what past you have. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I believe that's very important as we study just this one verse because uh, we don't want to just take necessarily verse number 16 and kind of pull it out of the text and say this is what it is and this is what it means. And We want to see it in its whole context and what is happening with inside of that. And so that's why we start here and noticing some things around the verse and why it makes it so important to us here tonight. But we're here to see a bigger, bigger picture, if you will. We're here to first of all look at the forest instead of the trees. And instead of the, maybe the birds in the trees or the bugs on the trees, okay? Uh, we need to see the whole gamut of everything and notice what is happening for us in these particular chapters, especially in our immediate context. But the first thing is this, is that notice here in verse number 16, he does say destruction and misery are in their ways. Well, we've got to ask a simple question. Why is that? Why, why is it that they're having misery and destruction is in all their ways is the idea. Everything they do, it's all about misery, 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 destruction, destruction. Why is that? It's because of this, sin. It's a simple answer, sin. Sin has brought these effects upon people. The people are in this day, and very much they are in misery in the world that we live in, and is alive and well in this world because sin is in front of us. In fact, destruction is in front of us everywhere we look sometimes. You can turn on the news and you can find destruction, destruction in front of us. And the sin that sin of this world is still causing and will still be causing and is not leaving until Jesus comes again. In fact, if you go back just a little ways, back to chapter number 1 and verse number 18, chapter 118 is the summation, I believe, of these particular verses. Chapter 1 and verse number 18 of Romans is just a good, quick summarization of what Paul is going to be talking to them about from Romans 118 to chapter 3 and verse number 20. And the verse tells us in 118 these very things. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That verse says it all. It tells us exactly why destruction and misery are in all their ways. Number one is this. The wrath of God is upon them. The wrath of God is upon them. God's wrath, God's anger, God's fury is upon on the ungodly. No greater destruction can be present upon us when, than when God's wrath abides upon us. Think about that. No greater destruction can be upon us than when God's wrath abides upon us. No greater demise can be in this world than when the wrath of God abides upon me people. Lesser nations have felt the wrath of greater nations, right? Lesser nations have felt the wrath of greater nations, but no nation can survive the wrath of God. Nobody can survive that. Look at some nations that are out there. Look at the Edomites. Where are they today? They're nowhere in existence. You can't find an Edomite anymore. The Bible says that they will not exist anymore, and they don't. You, know, you, you can't find a people called the Canaanites. You say they still exist, but you're not going to find a group called that anymore. You're not going to find a group called the Philistines. You're not going to find even a group called the Babylonians. 
You're not going to find a group called uh, the Medes and the Persians. Oh, yes, there might be some people that are still from those lineages. I'm not saying that, but you don't have nations anymore that are a part of these particular nations. Those have been destroyed. The Greco-Roman Empire, uh, the, the Roman Empire, as mighty as it was, was brought to naught. Why? Because that is the way God does things. God brings these things down, and he's able to. Nobody can stand against the wrath of God. That's why there's misery. That's why there's destruction. Number two, notice this. He says in our verse, in verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. His wrath is revealed against all who are ungodly. That means all people. That means you. That means me, right? I mean, we've been ungodly. Uh, do you know what it means to be ungodly? It doesn't mean that you're a wicked, vile sinner necessarily. It just simply means you're without God. You're without God. You do things in a fashion that does not represent nor portray that you have God in your life. And whenever you look through these particular passages here, especially uh, when you get to Romans chapter number 1, verses 29 down through 32, where he says to us there that we are filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection. He says unmerciful. Uh, who can stand against that list, right? Can any of us match ourselves against that list and say to ourselves, I've never done any of those things. I've never been, never have I acted like any of those kinds of things. I'd say we all fall short of the glory of God, do we not? What about as I've already read to you the verses that in chapter number 3, verses 11 down through 18. Have you always feared God? Have you always known the way of peace? Have you always uh, been one that has spoken with a perfect and golden tongue? No, we haven't. So indeed, his wrath has been revealed against us. That's why there's destruction. But perhaps, go back to 118 again. Perhaps the most condemning aspect of all in verse number 18, really that proves to us tonight why there is destruction and misery in all ways, it is this, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what that does not mean is that it does not mean that this world is out there. Whole, it's, like, it's not like this uh, pen knife here is truth, and the world is holding truth and has it in its hand. That's not the idea of hold, okay? It's not like they have the truth in their hand, and they get to open it up anytime. Anytime that they open up their hand, the truth will be there. Does that make sense? It's not the idea. The point of hold is to hold down, to suppress to put down. Here is truth coming at them. And what are they doing? Putting it down. Suppressing it. Saying, no, I don't want it. The most condemning aspect of all is that we know better. And in fact, in fact, we know so much better that we push away. We don't want this in our life. People hold the truth down. They suppress it. And people would rather not listen to it. People would rather, instead of turning to God, they, would end, they end up hating God. You know there's people out there that hate God?
some people would challenge you tonight as a Christian and say that everybody that before they became a Christian hated God. There was a hatred. And I almost believe you can take it that far. But the point being is this. Is that we all held it down. This is why destruction and misery is in our ways. This is why and where it all came from, from sin. It's all there. Wrath is sure to come. But all of these verses are explaining to us that we are all crooked in our thoughts, in our purposes, in our intentions, in our ideas, our motives, our ways, our words, our feelings, our emotions, our fears, and our references are all totally off course. And as we've been noticing tonight, we are in absolute error in this particular point on misery and destruction. So we are an utter, we're, we're, just, we're just totally off balance. Secondly, we are in absolute error. Absolute error. Utter depravity, absolute error. Paul points out to us tonight that what might seem like a lesser point to us mentioned in our sins so far, which I believe is more frightening. Destruction and misery are in their ways. What does that even mean? Well, I thought that Barnes had a very good way of pointing it out. As I mentioned earlier, misery loves company. Somebody that perhaps uh, is only happy when other people are unhappy. But one said it like this. They said that it is... um, My mind just lost myself. I'm sorry about that. But the point is that is that some people, in their, some people in their estimations think, you know what, I'm not going to be happy. And if I can't be happy, you can't be happy. If I'm going to be miserable, you're going to be miserable. Say, so that's not really a big deal. You know, that's very frightening if you think that. You know, whenever we've, we have to be so careful that we don't compare sins. That we don't compare sins. I was talking to, a, a, talking to somebody after church on Sunday. And I said, you know, one thing that amazes me is that uh, how God uses people, even that have committed very bad sins in our minds, in our thoughts, God still uses them. But how many of us still allow pride to exist in our hearts? We don't really consider pride a lot of times. But one of the things that God, you begin to be become ineffective for God is when pride gets in your life. When pride comes, your point of use has stopped. Your point of purpose is done. We have to all be so careful that we don't become prideful. But I'm just using that as an example here tonight as we look over this list, as we think about mouths full of cursing, as we think about those that are swift to shed blood, those that don't have any fear of God before their eyes. And I had not been challenged to, uh, I had not been challenged in this verse necessarily until really I was looking into it. When I was looking into it, I started to see in my own self, in my own life, and uh, looking over these things that, uh, that uh, we are all... And can all be like this. In fact, uh, some people seem to have a permanent case of this, don't they? I mean, we all can sometimes get in the mully grubs. We all can sometimes get down and we want somebody else to come down in the pit with us. But there are some people, it seems like they're always stuck, out in, the, stuck in the pit. <laughs> and they want everybody to be down there with them. 
Every time they come to you, they're there, they are the people that uh, are misery, and they do want company. But he tells us here, he says, destruction and misery are in their ways. That means they cause destruction everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, they bring about a chaos, a concussion, a fracture. They bring things to complete ruin. I mean, they walk into a store and they just, they just start, uh, everything, is, uh, everything is mad, everything is upset, everything is, uh, everything is uh, trash, everything is horrible. I can't believe that it's all bad, everything is bad. Everywhere they look, it's bad, 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 bad. Have you ever been around people like that? I tell you, that's a negative spirit. That's a terrible place to be at. We None of us need to be around somebody like that. And if you found yourself around somebody like that, then you might be in the company of misery. But then he says, misery are in their ways. Misery are in their ways. The word misery means calamity, confusion, chaos. And this is the position of the ungodly. And if we're not careful, we too can fall prey to this ourselves. We as Christians can go right back to this same spirit. Uh, it's even interesting to me whenever I think about this. It's that some people, some people want others to be unhappy so badly that they will actually kill somebody or hurt somebody in order to make them unhappy or make somebody else unhappy. Now, you see the extent of that. You see how far this can go. Sin can go so far. It can take you to the very depths. In fact, as I'm used on the subject, I thought to myself, you know what? I don't know if I've ever heard a message on Romans 3.16. In fact, as I thought even on even more about the subject, I thought, I don't know that I've ever heard a message on the subject that to place others under your misery is an evil objective that all Christians should reject. I don't know if I've ever heard a message on that. Think about that. When was the last message you heard that you should not put somebody else underneath your misery? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's out there. I'm sure it has been. I'm not original or anything. But Barnes puts it like this. This is what I wanted to say earlier. The tendency of their conduct, listen to this. I thought this was very interesting, is to destroy the virtue, happiness, and the peace of all with whom they come into contact with. That is what they think. They think, I've got to somehow ruin their peace. And how many of us have felt like this? How many times have we been like this? We, want, we are dirty, and so we want others to be dirty with us. We cannot stand to look up from a mud pit and see a man standing in a white, stark suit, right? We decided, we're going to say, I want to throw a mud clot at him. There he is, standing there in his white suit, and I'm in the mud. I mean, the first thing we want, what, is our sinful, what would our sinful nature want to do? I mean, just think about the real scenario, okay? The real life scenario. You fall down in a mud pit. There's a guy up there in a brand new white suit. What would you want to do in your sinful scenario? Take a mud clot and throw it on him, you know? Especially if he's laughing at you, I know? Uh, that would make it even worse. I mean, that is, that is our, do you know what that, that is a sinful, that is our sinfulness is what that is within us. That is, what, that is, we want to bring others down. We're in the pit. We want them to be in the pit. We're, we're frustrated. We want others to be frustrated. We, uh, misery loves company. We want to pull others down. And we have to fight this. Amen? We've got to fight this. We've got to, we've got to stay off this enemy that so oftentimes will want to attack us. Misery loves company. That is one of sin's greatest desires. Do you realize that? 
one of sin's greatest desires is not just to pull you down, but to also grab as many people with you as possible as you go down also. Some criminals have said that. They said, if I go down, I'm taking you all down with me. You know? Some people in big extortion schemes that have been in big companies, they say, if I go down, you're all going down. And so they all keep their mouth shut. Because I, I got something on you, Bob, and I got something on you, Fred, and I got something on you, Jill, and I got something on you, Susan. I got something on all of you. And if we, I go down, we all go down. What is that? Misery loves company. I'm going to take everybody with me. That's what sin does, though. Sin says, that's what the devil is doing, is he not? Why is he in such a fight with God? Because he is wanting to steal as many souls as he can down to the depths of hell as he can. He wants to pull as many with him. And may God help us to not act like the devil. Amen? Jesus points this out for us very plain. He tells us in Matthew 7, 13, and I've never thought about it like this, but think about this in this context that I'm preaching on tonight. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and listen, and many there be which go in thereat. Many. Why? Because that's what sin does. Misery loves company. Destruction loves to bring many with it. I was watching a show one time about on uh, the boys. If I remember flipping through a TV, the boys, you know, I don't know how they get all these words out. They say, you know, I want to say something like that. So I stopped on this one. It was a building. They were putting TNT and explosives into it. You know, you know that is a total guy show. I mean, no, I don't. I mean, there might be like. 5% of women that might stop on that show, you know what I mean, and look at that and go, that's kind of interesting, you know, and get bored about halfway through the thing and turn it and everything. But guys, I mean, I mean, we just, we, we find stuff like that. We see, putting, we see them putting TNT in the sides of, sh- and we say, man, this is cool. What's going to happen? And, of course, they don't blow up the building to win. The very end of the show, right? I mean, you got to wait through all the commercials and everything. And I'm, I'm, now I'm invested 15 minutes into this thing. Now I've got to watch the rest of it. You know what I mean? You invest some time in a program like that. They know they got you. And they know that, you know what, I've already put this much time into the thing. I've got to watch the rest of it. But this particular building, they blew up. They hit the button. It blew up. Destruction. Yes. But prob- the problem was, was that only half the building fell. The other half, the explosives went off, but it did not bring the building down. It was a total disaster. Why? Because destruction wants it all. Destruction is not complete until it says, I want it all. I got to have it all. I don't, I'm not satisfied with half. I'm not satisfied. Misery is not satisfied with just a little bit. Misery wants company. It wants more. It wants more. It wants more. Destruction wants more of it. We must all be so careful not to, put, uh, to get into this position because we all can fall prey to this particular trap. I, uh, just, to make a, just to make a pure confession to you is I found myself in this same very position yesterday. And I don't know if had God not showed me this verse even, I don't know if that, maybe I would have been still in that position. But the tendencies of this condemnation by God come in many ways. Think about these ways. 
How does this particular thing of misery loves country? Destruction and misery are in their ways. Literally, the idea there is in all their ways. Everywhere they go, they're always trying to uh, recruit some other people to be in their misery. Something bad happens to us. We complain. Oh, what happens? We want others to complain with us. We want others to jump on the bandwagon, and we want them to complain with us. I have a very godly wife, and uh, if I ever complain about something, she's very quick to not complain with me. It really frustrates me, you know. Can I just get somebody on my side, you know what I mean? You, You know, that's what we want. We want somebody on our side. But if you'll be a godly spouse, if you'll be a godly mom, if you'll be a, uh, a godly husband, uh, if you'll be a godly uh, dad, you know what? Whenever complaints start coming your way, you know what you'll do? Instead of jumping in the boat with the complainer is that you'll offer some other bit of advice. You'll try to look at things from a different angle. You'll try to uh, give the person the advantage or the upper. You'll try to be able to work it out so that they can uh, so that they can get out of this complaining and not keep rowing in the boat of misery. We have a bad day. What do we want? We want others to feel sorry for us and have a bad day with us, right? I mean, that's what we do. We come home from work. Us guys, and we recover, or maybe we, we moan, we gripe, we complain, we, we want other, we want some, oh, it's okay, you know. Or maybe we want somebody to feel sorry for us and have sympathy for us, you know. Well, I'm so sorry, you know. And, well, you know what, really, when, I, when you really boil that down, what is that? That's pride. That's arrogancy. Oh, you had a bad day. And so now all of a sudden, you're special, you know what I mean? <laughs> or even worse. Or even worse, as I said earlier, we have a bad day, and it's not that we just want others to feel sorry for us, but we make other people have a bad day too. We were punished, and so now it's up for us, up to us, to punish others. And really, that is the extent of what verse number 16 is saying. It's saying that we were punished, and so now we're going to punish others. Uh, this happens in, oftentimes in homes where you have uh, a father that's an alcoholic or whatever. He was punished for the day. Something bad happened to him. He gets drunk. He comes home. He beats on his wife. He beats on his kids. You know? He was punished, and so now he's going to punish somebody else. But this could not only happen in a home where you got a father as an alcoholic. This could happen in a home of a, of a, of a, of a Christian mom who something bad happens, and she feels like she's got to take it out on somebody. She's got to yell or scream or, she's got to, or he's got to yell and scream and get mad at somebody. Somebody's, somebody else is going to pay for his punishment. And my friend, that's just wrong. That's wicked. We got to all run from these things and realize and recognize them when they come into our lives that whenever we have a bad day, it doesn't, necessarily, it doesn't mean that we need to go around looking for sympathy. It doesn't mean that we need to go around looking for others to feel sorry for us. It doesn't mean that we, it definitely doesn't mean that we need to punish others. I, I, and I'll get to uh, the, the flip side of this in just a second, so don't rush ahead of me. But my point being tonight is this, is that destruction and misery are in their ways. This is not the way that we are to go anymore. I might say, look at the life of Saul. Look at the life of Saul. Where did that end up with him's life? 
He ended up feeling so sorry for himself, he leaned upon his own sword. I'm not an advocate for suicide at all, but that's got to be painful. That's got to be like a really bad way to die, to put your sword down and go, Ugh, you know, fall down. Oh, man, you got to be in a bad place to do something like that. It's horrible. But he was in a bad place. Judas Iscariot, the children of Israel, Haman, I mean, all these people, and you can find them all throughout your scriptures, people that uh, destruction and misery were in their ways. So you have utter depravity, you've got absolute error, but finally you have total salvation. We can have hope in the grace of God. Amen? We can have hope in the grace of God. I thought I'd get a better amen on that. Amen? Uh, we can have hope in the grace of God. Amen? Uh, hey, let's what's, what's, what's get some grace. We need some grace. We have a salvation, folks, that not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. Amen? And praise God one day from the presence of sin. We're going to a place one day where there will be no sin. But even before we get there, we've been saved from the penalty. We've also been saved from its power. We don't have to live as sinners anymore. We can have hope in the grace of God that whereby we once lived in a fashion, that fashion that we no longer have to. But rather we can, by the grace of God, learn to live, listen to me, rejoicing and praising God and being thankful. And instead of, everyone, instead of being down on everybody else, we can learn to be uplifting and encouraging and casting your burdens upon the Lord. I mean, the list just keeps on going on. But God's grace is sufficient. Now, we sometimes say that little verse in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 uh, where it says, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. But do you know what the whole entire verse says? The whole verse says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. But listen, most gladly, most gladly, he says, Therefore will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure. And think of those words. In infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. Do we understand those types of comments from Paul? Have we any understanding in our, our, our experience that Paul is experiencing here? There is no need. For any of us to subject everyone else to my misfortunes in life. But rather, I can rest confidently in the grace of God and realize that it is His grace that is teaching me a lesson to learn to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world that I'm living in. His grace is able to help me to be take pleasure in infirmities. It's able to help me to be glad even in times of hurt. And in pain. But oftentimes, the biggest struggle standing between you and God is who? You. The biggest struggle, the biggest person, the biggest threat between your relationship and God is you. Is you. Is me. I'm my biggest threat. This is just one step of many, I know. But we all can learn, we all should learn and be learning to put these things to the side. Number two, 
A total salvation produces that, tells us that God's grace is sufficient. But secondly, we can learn to live with an attitude of thankfulness and rejoicing. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, in verses number 16 and 18, he says to us, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Nothing will fight back this miserable attitude like one of gratefulness and joyfulness. These are gifts of the Spirit. When we find ourselves not reacting with thankfulness and joyfulness, we can rest assured we are in the flesh. We are in the flesh. It's just that simple. As a Christian, you'll either react in the Spirit or you'll respond in the flesh. Did you pick the word difference I said there? You'll either react in the spirit or you'll respond, or excuse me, react in the flesh or you'll respond in the spirit. A response is a calculated, thought out process. A reaction is a knee jerk. Somebody does something to you, you do something back to them. We must learn to respond to God. God's grace is sufficient. We must learn to have an attitude of thankfulness and rejoicing. We must learn to cast our burdens upon the Lord. I, I wish I could just preach a whole sermon on these last four points, and I really could. On how to overcome, how to overcome this attitude of misery loves company. We must learn verses like casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Part of this process whenever misery and destruction come your way, whenever trials and times of tough times come your way, is learning to be thankful and rejoicing in those times. It's learning to trust and rest on the grace of God, but it's learning also to cast your burden on the Lord. And then finally, I would tell you that the place of full repentance in this particular aspect is this. Look for an opportunity to pull others up instead of pulling others down. This is doing a complete 180. Whereas before you desired to bring, to destroy the virtue, peace, and happiness of everyone around you, but now you desire for the virtue, peace, and happiness of everyone around you. You want people to be happy, even if you're sad. This was perfectly illustrated in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Before he fed himself, he fed the 5,000. He did not meet his needs at the wedding party, but rather saw a need and met the need at a wedding party. He placed his own life many times in jeopardy to heal people and to preach the gospel. Not his needs, others' needs. And then finally on the cross, he asked no one to share in his pain. I know they couldn't theologically, biblically. But think about this. Even in the very end, when his three closest earthly friends would not pray with him, 
What did he tell them? Did he berate them? Did he get on to them? In the end, he finally told them, sleep on. Sleep on. And he himself went to the Garden of Gethsemane and cried out to God and sweat great drops of blood. And then went on from there to the cross. Our Savior is an example of one that did not want to spread misery, but wanted to end misery. Misery loves company. Misery is like a cancer. It spreads. Where are you going to allow your misery to take you? Where will you allow it to go? As far as you as I as Christians should be concerned, we should be done with it. We should be done with trying to put others down and put other people in our miseries. We should be done with trying to punish others when we are punished. We should be following the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and learn that even in great trials of affliction, that His grace is sufficient. That we can be thankful, that we can cast our burdens upon the Lord, and that we should help others in times of trial and our own misfortune. The Bible says in Romans 12, 15, He says, Rejoice with those that rejoice. But what else does He say? Weep with those that that weep. Weep with those that weep. Misery may love company, but as one person said, ignore the invite. Ignore the invite. Rather, let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Let them exceedingly rejoice. I don't know if you're like me, and you've ever tried to get somebody down in the mud pit with you. I don't know if you're one of those kind of people. I don't know if you've ever tried to sling some mud on somebody whenever you got a little dirty. But if you're like me and if you're like most people in this world, when you have a bad day, you want others to have a bad day too. Or you at least want somebody to feel sorry for you. Hey, Christian... If somebody has a bad day, feel sorry for them. Love them. Be good to them. Don't stand on the hill in a white stark suit and laugh at them, okay? That's not what I'm saying tonight. But what I am saying is this, is that if, you've had, if you're the one that had the bad day, look for ways to maintain and keep up other people's happiness. And to love them. Jesus, on one occasion had healed people from morning to evening. In the evening, he left, and he had, he had an all-night prayer vigil with him and God. The next day, him and his disciples were supposed to get away for a little rest time. But guess who showed up? The multitudes. The multitudes. And he would not leave them. He wouldn't leave him. He healed them and helped them. Selfless acts. May God help us in this matter. I know it may be a little unusual verse, but it would be one maybe this stick right in the brain.
destruction and misery are in their ways. I don't want to live like that. I want to live like Jesus. Father, we're thankful for...